Wonderful. Good morning, everyone. I am Et, or Etienne, as uh, Brian introduced me. Welcome to you as well from my end. If you're new to church, if you're new uh, with us this morning for the first time, it's, it's great to have you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, kids, let me talk to you first. I know that you're in church today, and I know that you already have been in church for a while today. And you are going to be in church for a while still today. <laughs> so I want to help you to get through the next bit. I want you to count how many times for the next bit when I talk am I going to say the word acts. Acts is the word. And I'm looking for one adult to volunteer to count it for me as well because I don't actually know <laughs> how many times I'm going to say the word acts. So... Can I get a volunteer? Who's going to be the adult to... Um, Mark? Thank you, Mark. We can get two. Mark, if you can do it. And who else? Let's get two. Okay. Well, we'll start with Mark. Mark and Jess. Okay. If you go to Mark and Jess afterwards, you, they're the judges. They will tell you how many times. And halfway through the message, kids, I'll talk to you as well. I want to tell you a story of when I was a kid, and I need you to hear that as well. And so hang in. And uh, just see if you can stay with me for the whole time. For now, can I just pray for 30 seconds with you? Brother, I pray that you'd open our hearts, our minds. Let us take this in as you would have us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thank you. Book of Acts. Thank you, guys. You can kick me off. We mentioned we're starting a series on the Book of Acts this morning, and here's how it starts. I'll dig straight into the first verse. Here's how it reads. It says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The book of Acts is all about Jesus. And it's about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. It's not often that I take you through Greek grammar, but the grammar of the verbs began to do and to teach is very important. It's present, continuous, ongoing. Luke the guy who writes the book of Acts, who also wrote another book called The Gospel of Luke, assumes that everything that happens in the book of Acts is Jesus doing and teaching. I believe and I hope that as we do this entire series of Acts that Jesus is going to do stuff in you. He's going to teach stuff to you, <laughs> that's the great thing about the book of Acts. It's, this is our time. We're still in it, right? All that Jesus began and continues and will continue over the next seven weeks to do in you, to do in us, to teach. So if you're coming here, I pray that you would come with an open heart and an expectation that Jesus, this Jesus, will continue to do stuff in you and to teach you some new things, right? 
In my former book, Theophilus, who's Theophilus? Good news. Theophilus is a person just like you and just like me. He's like you and like me in the sense that he didn't see Jesus, he didn't know Jesus personally, he wasn't there when, to the best of our knowledge when Jesus was crucified, he wasn't there when Jesus was alive, he didn't see him. He has to rely purely based on what he is told by those who were with Jesus. You do too. You, me, every single person in this building and of every human being who ever lived need to figure out who was this man, Jesus. And like Theophilus, we have to rely on what we're told, right? Luke, who writes to Theophilus, says this to him in the other book that he wrote. He says, I decided to write to you an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? So that you may be certain. Certain about who Jesus is. Are you certain about who Jesus is today? Do you know who he is? If you believe in him, do you know why you believe in him? <laughs> These are deep questions. And they're the deep questions that Acts asks us. And Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11 wants to teach us three things about Jesus in which we need to be certain about him. We're going to see today that Jesus is out there, Jesus is up there, and Jesus is in here, or at least he wants to be. Out there, up there, in here. That's what Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11 shows us. And I'm indebted to a preacher called Tim Keller for this, these points and roughly inspired by that. All right, out there, up there, and in here. And I just realised that I left my sermon notes in my office. <laughs> so, uh, help us. We'll be all right. Um, <laughs> This could be either longer or shorter for you. <laughs> we'll see how we go. Jesus is out there. We're going to begin with that. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we read this. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Here's my question for you on this point. Do you believe that Jesus... <laughs> You'll make an excellent assistant pastor. <laughs> he is right for the job. Next time, just have that flat white with you, would you? And then, um, and then, you, then you definitely cut out for it. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> do, do, you believe, do you believe that Jesus really physically rose from the dead? Kids, do you believe that? Yep, you do. All right, look. I, I do too, but I'll, I'll tell you what, there are a lot of people who struggle with this thing about, about Christians and about Christianity to say that this man, Jesus, was really dead. 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 And if you've been to a funeral, you know how heavy and weighty this is, and he came back to life. Did this really happen, and is it not just really ridiculous to believe? Is he out there? Let's have a look at this little video, just on this point, and then after the video, I'll Talk again. Thank you, Simon, Georgia. 
I was uh, studying physics when I first investigated the claims that Christians made about Jesus. And uh, I think I would have said something just like that. It must be ridiculous, a man rising from the dead. I assumed all Christians had taken leave of their senses. Um, and, uh, and that was until I actually came across some Christians who weren't stupid, and they really believed it. So I started to look at the evidence and quickly realised that the centrepiece of the jigsaw was this claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Without it, Christianity collapses. So, isn't it ridiculous? Well, a scientific approach can come to our help at this point. Of course a man rising from the dead breaks the normal laws of nature. But those laws don't say what has to happen. They merely describe what normally does happen. When you go to unusual circumstances like down to absolute zero temperature or up to the speed of light or back to the beginning of time, those are very unusual circumstances and different laws apply. So I came to realise that if God had stepped into the world that he'd created and become a man, that would be pretty unusual. In fact, uh, I think you'd agree, unique uh, set of circumstances. Under those conditions, different laws would apply. And uh, it would be no surprise if the entrance into the world and the departure from it broke all the normal laws of life and death. Perhaps a virgin birth, perhaps rising from the dead. So maybe it's not so uh, ridiculous after all. Maybe it's reasonable that if Jesus was and is God, then he must have risen from the dead. But of course, just because a resurrection could happen, that doesn't mean it did happen. What is the evidence? Well, first of all, of course, Jesus did really die. The Romans knew their job. They were experts at crucifixion. And his body really had gone from that grave. The, the tomb was empty. Even his enemies had to admit it, and they couldn't produce the body. And then there were the uh, resurrection appearances. Many people on different occasions amounting to hundreds altogether, claimed that they'd seen Jesus alive after his resurrection. And then there was the transformation of the disciples from uh, cowards to the most courageous men who were not only prepared to die for their faith, but most of them did, for believing this truth, that Jesus had risen from the dead. So maybe, maybe it's not ridiculous. Maybe it's quite reasonable Maybe it's ridiculous to believe that they would have been prepared to die for something they knew to be false. But uh, don't take my word for it. Have a, have a good look at the evidence for yourself. Why not look at the Go Deeper under this video? Why not read the accounts of the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection for yourself? Now, why not go and investigate the claims of uh, the resurrection with others uh, in a local church? And decide for yourself whether the resurrection is ridiculous or real. Thank you, Simon. Church, I don't want to do much more on this point. I just want to reiterate what Paul Perkins said. If you're on a journey and you think maybe 
you know, maybe Christianity is real and does have something for me that is true, life-giving and life-changing. But you struggle with this idea that Jesus rose from the dead, all the supernatural stuff. Can I just encourage you and invite you to explore that? Christians welcome that. Christianity welcomes that. Uh, You do not need to leave your brains at the door when you come into a church. In fact, quite the opposite is true. The first question we ask of Christianity is not, does it inspire me, although it does. It's not, is it practical for me in tips and life advice, although it certainly is. The first and fundamental and most important question is, is it true? Did this really happen? Could it have happened? What are the proofs or the clues or the points? And if that stacks up, well, then everything else follows. And we conclude that, okay, this person, Jesus, is certainly someone of whom we must learn, to whom we must come, eventually whom we must worship. Is it true? Did it happen? Acts, for its part, wishes to say, yes, it did. Jesus rose from the dead and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. That's the first point. Jesus is out there. Second point, Jesus is up there. I'm skipping down to the sort of bottom end of the passage. I'll come back to the middle a little later. After Jesus said a few things to his disciples, we read, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, this is what Christians call the ascension. It's a kind of a bit of a Christian word, ascension. Essentially what it means is Jesus Christ gets taken up out of this world into heaven, a place called heaven, and here's where the Bible uses metaphoric language. Where does he go? Metaphorically, at the right hand of God the Father, or in other parts of the Bible you'd hear an image like a throne. Jesus ascends. Jesus is taken up to the throne room of all the universe, seated at the right hand of God, and it's this picture of ultimate authority and sovereignty over all things. Listen to these scriptures about Jesus. I'll read them first and then go back to the point. Therefore God exalted him, this is Jesus, to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, all supreme, all powerful. Another part of the Bible talks about this ascended Jesus and it says the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things on heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Do you know what that means? Do you know what difference that makes to your life? That Jesus is 
ascended to the place of all authority. It means that Jesus is running your life. And it means that if you belong to him, that Jesus is the one running your life based on the model of the cross. Now, that's a lot of language there. Let me start first with Jesus is running your life. Who do you believe is running your life? Who do you believe is in control of your life? Who do you believe is in control of our world? What happens to you? Acts would tell you that it is Jesus. It's the ascended Jesus Christ. And you say, well, is that good news for me or is that bad news for me? Should I, be, should I be encouraged and comforted by that or not? I'm saying to you this morning, you should. You should be extremely comforted by that. And you say, but what about the bad stuff that happens in my life? Is he in control of that too? Yes, he is in control of the bad stuff that happens in your life. You know what he does with the bad stuff? Somehow, he uses it to bless you and to bless the world around you. Where do we see that? On the cross. On the cross of Jesus Christ. The Romans thought they are murdering him. The Jews thought they're exterminating him. And yet, behind all of that suffering that he endures and that others are causing him, God is achieving his purposes. The forgiveness of sin, the defeat of death, and the ascension of Jesus. Every bit of suffering in your life is under the sovereign control of the Lord Jesus and he somehow is using it to bless you and to bless the world around you. We see it on the cross. We see it time and time again in the Bible. Remember Joseph, the story that we did, and remember your own life even. If you care to look, you will see how God is blessing others through even your own suffering. That's the first thing. It's the first thing that we should know about the ascension is that it's not some impersonal God or forces in control of our lives? No. It's, it's the resurrected Jesus who is a human being like you, like me, in full control at the right hand of God. Number two, why should we be encouraged that Jesus has ascended? Well, here's why. It means that Jesus fights for you in the court of life. Kids, here's my story. All right. You know, when I was about year three, any people in year three here? Any, any, oh, there are some year three people. Oh, quite a few, actually. Do you like maths? Yes or no? It's a bit, it's a bit quiet out there. No. I also didn't like maths. In fact, I still really don't like it. I think it's an awful subject. Students must not be forced to take at all. But do you know, when I was your age in year three, I did a maths test at school and I didn't do really well. In fact, I did very poorly. And it was the last period of the day when I got handed my math test results back and I was absolutely crying in tears. You know why I was crying? Because my mum who's also a teacher, <laughs> sent me to school saying, I expect that you would do well in this math test. And I was really afraid to go home. I really was afraid to go home because I didn't know what my mum's going to say. Now, I don't want to diss my mum. <laughs> I love my mum. 
But, but my perception was, as a student, that, you know, I wanted the approval of, of my mum. I did. Badly. Here's what I want to say to you, to all of us. You want the approval of others. All of life is constantly seeking approval. You're seeking the approval of, 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 of friends at school. You know what likes are on Facebook? They're really just approval. Ticks of approval. Ticks of that my photo, my post, my whatever, my Instagram likes. It's approval that I seek, right? If it's not the approval of other people in your life that you seek, it's your own approval. You have expectations of yourself, right? Adults, about how you would have been as a, as a spouse, your marriage, your parenting, your self-image, your income, your job, your business. And if that is not the expectations you seek, it's those of God that we seek to meet for approval. And the world tells you that you don't need the approval of others external to you to, to find a sense of worth and validation. Stuff the world. You just need to listen to your own voice. And it's rubbish. You know, and I know, that a world in which no one is approving you, but you say to yourself, I approve of myself, makes you all of a sudden feel better. No. The truth is, you need the approval of someone external to you to, to know that you're okay, that you are loved, that, 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 that your life is a success, if I can call it that way. If you don't, all that's yours is guilt and shame and failure. And here's the thing. What would take that sense of guilt and shame and failure away? Let's go back to my little illustration of when I was a kid. What do you think ultimately dried up my tears and made me feel better about myself? Well, it's when I went home and when I cried for my mum. And what did she do? <laughs> I think she was quite shocked at how badly I wanted to impress her, but she grabbed me and she, she hugged me and she said, it's okay. I, I don't look to you to... I don't know what word she used, but if essentially to, to how you score on a math test to, to, for me to, to approve of you and to love you. And, she, and that external voice blew away my fear, my guilt, my shame. Here's what I put to you, church. This is a trifling example, but I talk to you about your life's failures. You know deep down you have failed. You know deep down that you're guilty. And it will take nothing, nothing less than the external voice of the ascended, exalted Lord Jesus to approve of you. That would take your guilt away. <laughs> and that's what he does. When the Bible talks about he intercedes for us and he does, it does so in other parts of the Bible in his 
centered role. It means that Jesus is the one who, who, who is like your advocate or your lawyer in the court of life where you are constantly, through other voices, put in front of the bar and say, he has failed, she has failed. She's not a success. He's not a success. And what will blow that out of the way? The external, mighty, sovereign, all-powerful voice of the resurrected Jesus who stands in front of the bar and says, no, he is not a failure. She is not a failure. And you go, but hang on a second, I, I am a failure. How does that work? See, here's what I didn't really understand about the, the, the intercession of Jesus, if you can bear with me for another minute. I always thought when, when, when Jesus intercedes for me, he sort of, when I fail... He asks God, can you, just, can you just cut him some slack? Just give him another chance. And you sort of start thinking, I don't know how long a person can keep that up for when I keep failing, when I keep struggling. Except that's not what Jesus does. What the ascended Jesus does is he goes to the courtroom where the justice is demanded for your failures and your guilt and he says, hang on a second. I failed in his place, in her place. <laughs> her guilt is mine. Her shame is mine. On the cross, her debt, her sentence was served. I took it all. And then I took my innocence and my success and my fullness and I gave it to her. I gave it to him forever and for all time. Therefore, I do not demand mercy. I demand justice, which has been served for my child. Do you believe that? <laughs> Can I speak to you this morning? If you, if you live in the hell of unremoved guilt and shame and failure, and you've never looked at Jesus to remove that. Will you do so today? Know that one of the things that he began to do and continues to do and wants to do even up to this very day is to take your guilt, take your shame, take your failure and say, no more. I give life, I give freedom. You say, hang on, but that's not really right. You're right. It's not. It's grace. It's the grace of God. Some of you are here, you have responded to Jesus. You've, re you've received the forgiveness, but, but you know what? You, you from time to time struggle to hold on to it. The haunting voices of guilt of the past come back, don't they? <laughs> Today, for you, it is the voice of the ascended Jesus that you need to hear again and again and again and again. What does he say? It is finished. It was done. I paid it all. You believe it. And you live in that reality. And you stop beating yourself up with the guilt that exists in your life if you're a child of God. It is done. It is finished. And it's the role and the job of the ascended Jesus to say that, to declare that with that authority in the heavenly realms, to Satan, to human beings, to your own conscience, to speak it out. She is forgiven. She's free. 
No guilt in life, no fear in death. All right. Those are the two points that we've done so far. Jesus is out there. Jesus is up there. There's one more point, and here's the good news. We're not really going to deal with that today. We're only going to introduce it. It's one thing to say that become a Christian because Jesus really rose from the dead. He's out there. Become a Christian because Jesus is up there and and you can understand this with your mind, you know, that your guilt is removed and, and it's a good thing and there's freedom and forgiveness. But it's not enough to really make you a Christian, if I can put it that way. Jesus needs to be also in here. Out there, up there, and in here. Jesus has to move from our heads to our hearts. Jesus has to move from an objective truth to a subjective reality that you can say, I know he is real because I just know it, because I know him because he's in me, and that's that, right? Jesus' promise to his disciples was this, go back, I'm going to go, you wait in Jerusalem, and you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Next week, I'm going to unpack this for us. The Holy Spirit gets poured out, that's Christian language, sorry if that's confusing to you, but bear with me. And some tremendous things happen at that event, and there's a whole crowd that stands back and they say, What is the meaning of this? That's the question we're going to ask next week. What is the meaning of being baptised in the Spirit? What does it mean for me? What should it mean for all of us? Come next week and we will talk about what it means to be baptised in the Spirit for Jesus to be in here. Let me pray for us and then we're done. Father, thank you that you're a Father of, of grace. Father who, out of love, did not want to leave your people in their guilt. I do pray this morning for those here who are suffering excruciating pain under a burden of guilt. Father, would you set them free? Lord Jesus, may they come to know you as the one who fights for them in the court of life against their own judgments those of others, those of Satan, and even your righteous judgment on them, Father. Plant your freedom in their hearts. And Father, for those who responded to you in Jesus, remind us of it powerfully in the places where it matters, that we may live as forgiven and free people. Pray for those who doubt that you really rose, Lord Jesus. I pray that you'll appear as you have to many here, one way or another, to just say, you're alive. Will you do so? And Father, will you grant us the faith to believe it and be certain? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Music. Yeah, let's stand and sing together a song that declares what Etienne has just um, preached to us. In Christ alone, our hope is found.
Cool, thanks for that worship team and uh, Etienne. I love that song and Acts is an inspiring read. I'm looking forward to many more sermons on this. Um, and that just about wraps up today's service. I just have a few things to say before we do. Uh, we do have a collection in this church in the way of a crusty old box up the back there. Um, it's probably got more, it's probably been here for 63 years tomorrow, actually. It looks like it has been. <laughs> anyway, it's a cool old box at the back. Um, feel free to drop money in on your way past it this morning. Uh, the money given here is exactly that. Uh, it's given. We don't plead with our members to empty our wallets. We don't make anyone hand over hard-earned dollars. We believe God has blessed us, and in some incredible ways, one of which is with money and the ability to give it away. So the money given here goes towards the work of this church, goes to missionaries overseas, goes to ministry workers in Devonport, and more. Basically, it does an awful lot, so feel free to give or not. Uh, also, there's an opportunity for prayer after the service. Uh, please feel most welcome to meander up here and call on myself or Etienne. We'd love the chance to chat with or pray with you. Other than that, have a stupendous week and be a blessing to others. Thanks.